0: return on civil war talk radio we'll warm up the civil war time machine a mechanism already familiar to our guest today robert lee hodge and put him aboard for our final segment of civil war talk radio
2: without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools.
1: Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers.
2: Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management and search engine optimization, to name a few.
1: Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com.
2: That's A-V-A-L-A-R dot com.
1: Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality to begin living a life you love, visit TheVitalYou.com.
3: You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk.
1: To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068.
0: Talk radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Robert Lee Hodge, writer, researcher, part owner of Wide Awake Films, and one-time guru of the living history community. Uh, Rob, if that's not too strong a term, uh, to suggest you were once uh, sought out by others for your your uh, impressions of people in, in, in your right. Life ability to uh, recreate the civil war uh, yourself let me ask you a question about some of the controversies that uh, one reads about in in uh, reenacting living history one of the issues certainly is that it costs a lot of money to do this obviously uh, to, to get the gear just so and that means the people doing it have to be people who have some money and it also takes a lot of time requiring a certain amount of leisure time and uh, maybe the maturity to be interested in this hobby instead of uh, beer drinking and chasing girls and so on. Right. So you end up with a lot of 40 uh, year old overweight bearded guys like myself, 40 plus, um, uh, trying to create an impression of very, very hungry 19 year olds in 1864. Right.
3: How, how do you, how, what, what's your view on that? Well, probably my, my view's been compromised because I'm 39. So, <laughs> no more hardcore for you.
0: What's that? No more hardcore re, re- recreations for you. You you can't be a 19 year old anymore.
3: Well, I can't be a 19 year old. I mean, you know, I can dye my beard if I want, you know, uh, and I can watch my weight, and uh, which I think, you know, with the obesity problems in the United States, I think we all need to um somehow find a way to balance out the um, the life behind uh, the desk and 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 just being healthier people and eating better and that's not easy at times um I went on a diet a couple years ago and lost 12 pounds in 12 weeks and you know was jogging every morning at the Spotsylvania Battlefield when we were planning the Spotsylvania reenactment a few years back and just was being real diligent about you know consumption of uh, of you know food but I, it, you know, it is a problem. I mean, um, you know, when you look at the movie Gettysburg, you run into some fat reenactors, and it, it just doesn't look right. And so, you know, I think it's kind of a it's a tough question. It's a tough call. I mean, I've seen I've seen people leaving it's because you know the you know there were a lot of middle-aged guys that were you know overweight and, and didn't look right, and they wanted to join you know the person leaving wanted to join another unit that was of maybe younger guys and thinner guys or whatever, and, you know, it depends uh, Teach his own. I mean, there's no laws that say you can't do it. I mean, I, when I put on a preservation event in 2000, I wanted to do two things. One, I wanted to raise a lot of money um, for preservation, and two, I wanted to have high authenticity standards, which meant that you would probably wind up turning people away. Um, not that that would be something you'd be proud of, but you do, I think, with this stuff, with the reenacting and historical interpretation, you do have to create some standards. And um, it might not be a come one, come all thing, which can...
0: can Well, I I mean, it does raise a lot of interesting issues. Um, Sure. If you're going to restrict the recreation of the 54th Massachusetts to African-American reenactors and not have white soldiers in a black regiment... Right. ...uh... Then, then maybe you shouldn't have fat soldiers in a thin regiment. Uh, you get the issue with women who are interested in reenacting. Uh, we know there there were a few hundred, maybe as many as a thousand women who did disguise themselves and fight in the war. Sure, but you probably got at least that many uh, people today who'd like to. To probably more people who want to recreate that than actually did it.
3: Sure, and I, think, and I think that there needs to be events where there is some strictness. Now, I'm not saying that those events are the most enjoyable even. Sometimes just a regular re- reenactment that has like a festival or carnival-like atmosphere is more enjoyable than some of these, you know, hardcore nuts and berries um, weekend excursions um, that can be less enjoyable um, at times. And, uh, you know, but I think you do have to have those events that say it's not come one, come all. And I think that gender has to be, you know, approached. Um, you know, to me, it's nothing more than transvestitism. And um, I've often thought about buying a hoop skirt and um, going to events with my beard, uh, while I'm beard and uh, trying to go out on the battlefield just to make a point, um, because it, it is an issue. And the thing is, is that, it also forces more the question: Is what is this stuff? Is it you know purely entertainment, self-indulgent, cons- uh, historical consumerism? Uh, is it interpretation? Is it an- honoring your ancestors? Is uh, doing reenactments honoring your ancestors? I mean, if I could talk to my ancestor from the Fourth Alabama Cavalry, you know, and you know, ask him what he thought of reenacting, I'd love to do that because he might scratch his head and go, you know, I don't understand it, or. Other veterans would probably be happy that they are remembered, you know. It it wouldn't be one blanket opinion. But um, I I think that reenacting, you know, um, is kind of changed uh, due to the Internet, and that is good and bad. Um, You go to some of the reenactor chat rooms, and there's some mean-spirited, nasty-talking people that would not dare talk to you that way in public, but when – they're behind their computer and they might even have a false identity or something saying some just ridiculous things and it's just really uh, really hateful kind of stuff.
0: Now, do you mean in terms of, of criticizing each other's uh, appearance and, and performance or, or in just saying certain people shouldn't be allowed in or what, what, what do you mean by
3: It's It's all over the map. It's really regardless of the content matter. Just the way some of these people talk that are on there that spend hours on there there's one gentleman I've seen on there so much that I'm like, how does he hold a job down? You know? <laughs> and then I heard he recently he got fired from his job, and then all of a sudden it made sense to me why he got fired. But, uh, but it's just the Internet is kind of a mixed bag. It's kind of like television. You know, the, the potential for it to be a great tool and resource is certainly there. There's no doubt about that. And then, the, see, the implementation of it is another issue altogether. Uh, the Internet for putting events on, reenactments on, or historical programs is a great way to communicate with people. It's toll-free and in many ways, and um, you can do the mass communicating. But um, the, the downside is, I think, that um, I remember in the 80s uh, when I was going to reenactments as a teenager, and I would look forward to seeing people that I hadn't seen in months or hadn't seen them since the previous year. And there wasn't this um, commonality of communicating. You know, it would be a phone call that would cost money, so you did less of that, mm-hmm. and you just waited to, to get together with everybody around the campfire and talk shop. You might talk about the war. You might talk about um, modern things, politics or sports or whatever, but it would be... It would be a lot of uh, great social interaction, um that was, uh, lacking over the winter time. But then with the, with the internet, with the chat rooms, that, that's been compromised, you know, because you can log in and, 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 uh, chat away and, and there's some people, like I said, you know, kind of pontificate about this or that or the other and some of the, uh, jacking gets old and I've, Had to turn my back on the internet quite a bit just because uh, you know there was some real nutty reenactor conversations that were just annoying um, to to the nth degree and and I and I and I started wondering you know this is kind it's almost like kind of a a a perversion almost it's not it 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 didn't really have anything to do with the Civil War and sometimes reenacting really doesn't have anything to do with the Civil War. Um, reenacting sometimes has to do just with reenacting, and, and, that, and, and that in itself is kind of a subculture that at times can be very distant from the historical subject. And now, that that's something to... that we always got to remind ourselves of, or at least I like mm-hmm. to, is, you know, what does this have to do with the Civil War? And if you're not talking about protecting a battlefield or preserving something, and if you're not talking about, you know, um, you know uh, authenticity or, or putting on a quality event and it's just you know bickering amongst people there's i, I have no room in my life for no time in my life for it well
0: i think that i've heard it said there's no hobby or special interest too small not to be split by bitter feuds oh yeah Among participants and sometimes the smaller the hobby the more Bitter the animosity. You said something about your uh, talking to an ancestor in the, the Fourth Alabama. And a question I often like to ask people on this program is who they would like to talk to if they could go back for an hour. And often people I ask that question to have never really thought about it. Frequently, it's authors, academics, and they have never really thought seriously about well, what if I literally could go back? Uh, you, in contrast, uh, as we started saying right at the beginning, uh, people in living history seek that transcendent moment where you feel you are actually back maybe just for a moment. Uh, who is it you would want it? Would it be your ancestor that you'd most want to see
3: in that hour? Well, I guess, go back? I guess in a way beggars couldn't be choosers, so I'll take anybody. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I tend to would probably grab, you know, the, the kinfolk, the ancestral thing, of course, would be one of those. Um, connections, but there's a there's a gentleman um, who was in the 17th Virginia Infantry who I'm a, a big fan of. His name his name was Alexander Hunter, and his home his plantation home is where National Airport in Washington is today. And the ruins of the home are between two parking garages. They're still there. Wow. And uh, Polanka turned me on to Hunter. We were at Second Manassas, uh, walking some of that field. I guess that was in '93 or four. And um, the way Hunter writes, it's just so incredible. At 2nd Manassas, this is, I guess, on August 30th, he goes, I dropped behind a dead Yankee or so, I thought. But the moment I fired, he opened his eyes and turned to me and said, Sir, for the love of God, don't shoot over me. I never fired a shot. And Hunter said, The more fool you. He showed me his hand. A ball had pierced it and entered his abdomen. I bound up his hand with a handkerchief and uh fixed his knapsack under under his head and told him to keep a stiff upper lip and the moment I was about to leave he handed me his canteen with his unwounded hand and putting it to to my lips, to my astonishment, I found it was whiskey. But I took nonetheless a hearty pull on that account, however. And you know, and that's just from memory. I mean I, I didn't That's great stuff. It it is. And and Hunter Hunter does a lot for me. I really like Hunter a lot. And he, you know, Hunter is a great one. Robert Shan of the 2nd South Carolina is a great one. There's a lot of great guys out there that I feel a connection with. And so um, Hunter would be one I would love to talk with and, um, and walk the places with him. Um, and, uh, and also, I, I felt a connection with Julius Franklin Howe, the 24th Virginia Cavalry, because um, his, his interview from 1948 has been put online. And um, it's an audio recording, and and I often, you know, feel that connection with uh, Howell because it, you know you hear his voice, and and he's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. So uh, and 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 you know at the beginning of the recording, you know, you hear this like nineteen, I guess I guess it's about forty eight when they interview him, and, and you hear this re- you know this uh, fellow saying, uh, go ahead and talk now. They're recording you now, yeah. and you hear Howell say, are they sitting here? Yeah. And he goes, well, you can stand if you'd like. And he goes, I'd rather stand. And he goes, "Uh, I have the distinct honor speaking to the public in this splendid building on a subject that's been handed to me carte blanche. I understand from the good doctor here that I'm to speak about anything that interests me. But I understand the public must be interested also. I have the inclination, however, to go back to my early boyhood, way along the lines of the early 50s. Well, you're hearing his voice, and, you know, it's almost um, hypnotic.
0: It And it, it, um,
3: it was funny. I was talking with Thomas Cartwright over at the Carter House on November 30th, um, several years ago on the anniversary of the Battle of Franklin. Franklin, yes. And I asked Thomas if he had heard this guy, and this was before it was online, so I thought I was a big shot with this bootleg recording I had. And, uh, and uh, I asked him if he would ever heard of Julius Franklin Owl and he said No. And uh, I told him, oh, man, you got to hear this guy's voice. It's great. I mean, how many times do you get to hear the voice of a Confederate soldier? And he goes, and then he paused for a minute. He goes, what did you say his name was? And I said, Julius Franklin Howe. And he goes, wow, this is really weird. He goes, we have his cane and his United Confederate Veterans Medal in uh, our uh, visitor center.
0: Sometimes things connect like that.
3: It's amazing.
0: It is. It is uh, also amazing in an unfortunate way that we have come to the end of our hour. And uh, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I've I've enjoyed it and learned a lot. I wish we could talk longer. Uh, But, Rob, I hope we can have you back on the show sometime and look forward to your next project with Wide Awake Films.
3: All right. Well, thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you. And, everyone, thank you for listening today to Civil War Talk Radio.